Amen. That was glorious worship. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I have to confess tonight, church, I'm a little bit discombobulated because there's a whole bank of lights up here that I have never stood before. And, uh, and with these bifocals and a, and a Bible on the, on the podium here, but it's not well lit. So if I stumble around, I'm sorry. But we're going to go and we're going to we're going to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us tonight. Amen? Amen. About a month ago, I was here uh, filling the pulpit for Robert, and uh, I talked about holiness. And uh, I want to continue that theme tonight because the Lord has been working in me about His holiness. And the fact that uh, I said in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 15 and 16, if you recall those from a month ago, it says, because God is holy, we need to be holy in all of our conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And, uh, and, and so we talked about that. We talked about walking in holiness. And I want to continue uh, talking about holiness tonight, and we're going to start with a verse that I uh, gave you uh, a, a month ago, so get your Bibles out, and go with me to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and 10. Uh, I like this in the King James Version. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So there's two things here. There's the fear of the Lord is, and the knowledge of the holy is. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is just that. God is an awesome God. We hold Him in awe. We hold Him in reverence. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he cried out, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And so it is that fear of the awesomeness and the holiness of God that, that just makes us come into that awe and reverence of the Holy One. And that fear, that awe, that reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. It is the doorway into wisdom. Wisdom is knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong and doing what is right. Amen? That is wisdom. If you want to know more about wisdom, I, I ask you to go to Proverbs chapter 2 and turn that into a personal study. And you'll learn all about wisdom and knowledge and understanding, insight, discernment, and good judgment. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what I want to focus on tonight is the second part, and that is the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the knowledge, the, the Hebrew word for knowledge is da'ath. So remember that word because we're going to see it again in a moment, da'ath, and it means knowledge. And it means knowledge with... Um, with perception and with skill. So it isn't a knowledge like I know the President of the United States. 
well, I know his name, but I don't really know him. But by way of analogy, let me say this. I'm a physician, and I became a physician because I went to four years of medical school where I gained knowledge. I learned medicine. I, I picked up knowledge, stores of knowledge. And then I did the three-year residency in family medicine where I even learned more knowledge, but now I'm beginning to put that knowledge into practice in a clinical setting. So now I am being trained. So I was being taught in medical school. In the three years in residency, I was being trained, but I continued to gain more and more knowledge about medicine. And then I did a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine where those skills became honed, but, but I continued to gain more knowledge. And even now, today, I read the medical literature every day, and I gain more knowledge. I keep up with how the knowledge is changing so that I become a practiced physician with good clinical skills. That kind of knowledge, I, I knew medicine, but now we're talking about taking that same kind of learning and, and turning that to the knowledge of the holy. So that means that we have to go into the Word and we need to dig into the Word in order to learn about the holy, because the holy is understanding. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. Understanding in the Hebrew also means it's intelligence, it's discernment. So the knowledge of the holy is going to make us intelligent. It's going to make us discern what is around us because we have a knowledge of the holy. So this verse, Proverbs 9 and verse 10, is our standard. It is our bedrock. It's what we stand upon so that we shall not be moved. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Amen? Now turn with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea is right after the book of Daniel. In my Bible, it's page 724. Hosea chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you saying, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Does that sound familiar? It's all around us, isn't it? I mean, we could even go back up there and say, hear the word of the Lord, O people of America. 
Verse 4. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. Now keep your finger right there in Hosea and flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 5. And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priests or priesthood. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. One of those sacrifices that we make is Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we are living stones, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ, and He calls us His holy priests. Now flip back over to Hosea, and he says, don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. Why? Because there's no knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. In the King James Version, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Da'ath. It's the same knowledge in Proverbs 9.10 that we talked about in terms of the knowledge of the holy. And in here, it says, my people are being destroyed because of the lack of the knowledge of the holy. The holy one. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. So what the Lord has been saying to me, church, is that I want you, Lex, to walk a holy life. Because I cannot heal your land unless you walk in holiness. The church needs to walk in holiness. If we do not walk in holiness, our land cannot be healed because there will not be a knowledge of the Holy One. So what I want to do for the rest of the time tonight is to begin to talk about how do we do that? How do we gain knowledge of the holy. Turn to Hebrews 11.6. This is a verse you should memorize if you haven't already. I memorized it in the RSV, so I'm going to quote it in the RSV. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For if anyone would come to him, he must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. So church, our Christian life begins and ends with faith. And so without faith, we cannot please Him. And without faith, we're not even going to be able to come to Him. Because with that faith, 
we must believe that he exists. The, he, the Greek word for exists right there is esti, and it means is. It's, it's the present tense of the verb to be, and so we must believe that God is or that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but what I want to focus on right now is the fact that we must believe that God exists. Now flip over to Exodus chapter 3. Now I mentioned this last time when we were talking about holiness. This is where Moses is at the burning bush. And, um, and the first time that holy, the word holy is mentioned in the King James Bible anyway, is right here. In uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Lord is speaking to, to Moses from the burning bush, and he says, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. So this Moses is coming face to face with holiness. He is on holy ground. And then look at uh, verse 13. So God is saying that he's going to be with Moses because he wants him to go lead his people out of Israel. And Moses protested in verse 13, and he says, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, well, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The Hebrew word for I am is hayah, and it means to be, to exist. And so what we had before was if we're going to draw near to God, we must believe that he exists. And now he's telling Moses, tell them that my name is I am, I exist. So here's the first thing, church, God is self-existent. God was not created. He was not born. If he had been created or if he had been born, it would have had to have been from someone or something that was at least greater than or equal to who he is, and then he would not be God. So God was not born, he was uncreated, he, was, he has always existed. And as opposed to what some philosophers say, that God is dead, God cannot die. Because if he died, he would be finite, he would be mortal, and he would die, and therefore he could not be God. So God is self-existent from beginning to end, God has always been. This is the Holy One that we're talking about. He is self-existent. If you want to, flip over to Isaiah chapter 43. I love these verses. I have read them over and over again. I've pondered them. I've meditated on them. And I still have not been able to get my arms all the way around it. And in verse 10, 
And this, again, is in the New Living because I love the way it's, it's, it's saying here. And I'm going to pick up with the second phrase. And it says, you have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. Verse 13, from eternity to eternity, I am God. So God is declaring his self-existence. He's declaring, I am. This is very, very important for us to know. Because in that self-existence is the, the self-existent one is the one that created everything. See, so God, it, he transcends matter, space, and time. They are all contained within him because he spoke and it was. The self-existent one spoke, he created, it was, and the evening and the morning became the first day and time began. So that's who he is. So he is the creator. And I, I'd ask you to go to Genesis 1 and reread the creation story because the self existent one did all of the creating and he still holds it all together by his word of power. But not only did he create everything that we see, he created you and me. We are the created ones. He is the creator. So therefore, man has no existence outside of God. We've been reading the plan lately. And I, I was just amazed as I read through John, and I, and I came across verses that go right along with this. And so in John chapter 3 and verse 27, John the Baptist is speaking, and he says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Everything that we have, because we are the created ones, we are the creatures, comes from God. We have nothing in and of ourselves. Everything comes from Him. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. And in John 15, 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And He says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I am the creator and you are the created. So our identity is encompassed in the self-existent one because we are made in his image. So what has man done when man refuses God and turns to any other idol? He is refusing his own identity and he is lost because we are created in the image of God 
We belong to him. He made us. And there is that everlasting connection between the creator and the created. So we have to know and understand that this is all a part of the knowledge of the holy. I'm just scratching the surface of the God's self-existence tonight. I, I came across in my reading in the plan in John 5, 26, Jesus is speaking and he says, the Father has life in himself. Life comes from God. Nowhere else. He is self-existent and life is self-existent in him. The Father has life in himself and he gives that life-giving power to his Son and the Son gives us eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and this is the record that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. Life is in the Father. Amen? So, in that self-existent God, we live and move and have our being. Amen? Okay, so hang on to the self-existence because it's going to lead to one other attribute of God that I want to talk to you about tonight, and that is this. Given that he is self-existent, he has always existed, he always will exist, means that God is sovereign over his creation. He is absolutely sovereign. He is an absolute ruler, and he rules absolutely. But in order to be the sovereign of his creation, he also has to be all-powerful or omnipotent. Because of this, if there was some power that did not belong to God and it belonged to someone or something else, then he cannot, by definition, be sovereign over his creation. Because that power is either shared or in confliction. And so he has to be all powerful. He has to be all-knowing or omniscient. If there was someone else or something that knew something that God did not know, he could not be sovereign over his creation. So God is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He knows all things, all the time, all at once. He has all power. When God created the universe and he spoke it into existence and, he, and power goes out and it forms all of the universe, God did not have to take a week's vacation and recharge his batteries because it didn't deplete his power. 
His power remained the same power. When, he does, when Jesus healed the leper, when he healed the lame man, when he healed the woman that had the flow of blood, and he said, virtue went out of me, power went out of me, that power did not deplete his power. God is all-powerful. And the third thing that he must have is he must have absolute freedom to do anything he wants to do. If there is someone else or something that prohibited him from doing something, he could not be sovereign. So our God is completely free to do whatever he will do, and he does it in the the unitary uh, attributes of who he is. In other words, all of his goodness, all of his love, all of his mercy, all of his grace, all of his power, all of his omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, all work together, not to the exclusion of anything else or not to the depletion of anything else, but they are all the same, all the time, working together as the single person that we know as God the Father. Amen? So, let me give you what I think is a really neat illustration of this. So flip over to Daniel which is just before Hosea, chapter 4. And for the purpose of time, I'm going to condense a little bit of this. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, has a dream. And Daniel is there in Babylon, and Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And um, if you'll pick up in chapter 4, verse 25... He tells the king, you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Verse 29, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. And everything that was prophesied became, came to pass. And so, verse 33, that same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society, ate grass like a cow, he was drenched with the dew of heaven, he lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. 
His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Our God is sovereign. Our God never changes. He is the same today as he was in Nebuchadnezzar's time. The same God rules, and he rules forever. In his sovereignty, he has granted us free will. That falls squarely within his sovereign will to grant us free will. So man has the ability to either choose what is good or what is evil. But those choices have sure consequences. If we choose Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives, then we have eternal life. I quoted 1 John 5, 11 and 12. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. If you choose not to believe Jesus, if you turn away from God, and you choose other than the self-existent sovereign God, then you will be eternally separated from God. That's the consequence. So, what I want us to know, and what the Lord has taught me, is that when we live under His sovereignty... When we live our lives in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we make our will the same as His will, then we fall within that good and eternal and unchanging sovereignty of God. And church, we don't have to fear anything. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. God is good, and He does only good. He is the sovereign God. We don't have to worry about what's going on around us in the world. We don't have to worry about who's the president or who will become president. We don't, know, we don't have to worry about um, Russia. We don't have to worry about any things. The only thing that we have to be concerned with is, are we walking in obedience to the God of the universe? Amen. When we do, we will be safe. Amen. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's who our God is. He's unchanging, and He will keep us. Proverbs 31.15 the psalmist David says, my times are in his hand. The New Living translates it, my future is in your hand. Our future is in God's control, in his hand. He has given us, we're his workmanship, and there are works for us to walk in that he had for us beforehand. And so he knows what our destiny line is, and we can walk in it. Amen? So, here's my 
my plea to the church, everybody watching tonight as well, anybody listening to this broadcast later, I implore you to get into the Word and study the holy. Study about the self-existent God. There's many, many, many other references in the Bible about His self-existence. Study about His sovereignty and who He is. Oh, sovereign God. Acts 17.11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now these are the, one, the Bereans, the, the Jews that lived in Berea, are more noble than those in Thessalonica because they receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what they were being told, they were, they were seeing it. If, is it written in here? If it's written in here, then it is so. And so I'm imploring the church to get into the word and, and get the knowledge of the holy because it is understanding. And if anyone does not know Christ, anybody watching does not know Christ, then you're in a precarious position. And so it's easy to come to the living, self-existent God by just calling out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and be my life and you will have eternal life. And you come within that sovereignty of God and He will take very good care of you. That's who our God is. So let me pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word tonight. I thank You that Your Word is true. There's only two things that are going to last eternally, and that's Your Word and people. And my plea Father God, is that you will send the Holy Spirit out to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh Lord, I want to see millions and millions of people turning their hearts to you and being added to the church, the body of Christ. I know, Father God, that you are, are sending Jesus to come back again. And this dispensation is going to end. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed for all men to die once, and after that comes judgment. So there's going to come a point where there's no more choice, but there's judgment. And so, Father God, I pray, I pray, I ask you to fill the earth with your glory. I ask you to show us your holiness that we may have the knowledge of the holy. We may understand just a little bit about who you are and what you are doing, and we live our lives in you, and we walk in holiness because you are holy. And we hurry the day of Jesus along. Thank you, Father, that you live in us by your Spirit, that you make us one by your Spirit and that we can strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. We worship you as the awesome God, all-powerful, all-knowing, and really, really good.
Thank you, Father. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.